0: you're listening to the names not numbers podcast with me julia hobsbawm of names not numbers and editorial intelligence in association with the financial times i feel a bit outnumbered by blokes on the panel on the gq panel flanked by dylan jones editor of gq one of the media partners here hooray hooray harvey goldsmith peter york stephen barber Now, who's got that note that Stephen wrote? You've got it. okay. Um, I'm going to set the scene for this discussion, which is about connections in fashion, style and entertainment, that we're going to finish in sort of just a bit over half an hour, by reading you a note that Stephen Barber wrote to me in preparation for this session, just so... I know Peter lost the vote on style being the big connector, but think again, because if you were Stephen Barber, you would have most of your suits tailored at Westbourne House, Paul Smith's Notting Hill gig, five minutes walk from his house, Uh, single-breasted, four cuff buttons each side, silk lining, never stripes these days, always shades of grey, 50 I hope. Blue is for politicians and pimps. Mostly eight or ten ounce cloth, which is best for travelling and overheated offices. Sometimes I have suits made at a Ming Hing Chong.
1: A A Hing Chong, yeah.
0: Correct. Uh, the tailor at Hong Kong's Mandarin where I had my first suit, a grey bird's eye made in nineteen eighty which I still wear occasionally. It then goes on. I won't read the whole thing, but I'm going to put it online with his permission, or publish it in GQ with Dylan's permission. Tie by Marinella, suits by T. He Lewin. Called me a pimp, I think, didn't he? Sure.
2: he Call me a
0: pimp. A. a. Well, Gill called me a no. madam, so we're equal. Okay. We're quits. <laughs> Cufflinks by Vicky Ambury Smith. Watch by Audemars. Pique. Give to me. And so on and so forth. Bought. So, here's the challenge. Do we... You know, I feel a little bit like Simon Sharma saying, yeah, but all art and commerce, it's dreadful, isn't it? I do feel a bit like, guys, are we serious? I'm going to ask Peter. I could come straight in at the UK feminista angle, but I'm not going to do that. We'll come back to the reclining, long-limbed, semi-naked women point, a bit, like when we're a bit more warmed up. But, Peter... Whatever else you have to be to be in GQ, I think it's fair to say you've got to be well-dressed. Is this right? Yes. Okay, talk to us about that.
3: Well, it is right. And it's, it's, to some extent, capital R, right. It could be read like that. People often say dandies are inherently socially conservative. I don't think that's always true. But um, to continue the theme I'd launched into in a rather rambly way... What I was about to say is that fashion is everything. It is the guiding principle of everything. It is the guiding principle of people of the word and people of the big idea. And one glorious thing for a badly educated person like me is the schadenfreude of watching Primrose Hill, people of the word with three degrees to their name, change their minds for fashionable reasons and adopt a completely new rhetoric so, you know, in those squares and crescents, they're saying different things today. They've got a different take on the world, and they've got a different set of words for saying them. Everything is fashion, not just stuff in your bag. And the dislike of fashion comes from very deep-rooted, um, visceral antagonisms among lots of men and some women, and they come out of ist things. Yeah, very, very deeply. You're
4: intimating then that fashion is about people gathering together to make collective decisions. Yes. Whereas fashion, in my opinion, goes the other way. Fashion is about individualism, it's about being different, it's about creative. And what you're alluding to is that fashion now, the way you're putting it, um, is collectivism which I don't buy because that to me is not fashion. Yeah, that's but there just, is a certain form of herdism. That's kind of, herdism, of the, isn't That's there? the abuse of fashion.
0: But Dylan when you feature I an art, are lovely. But when you feature a designer presumably there's a run on the sales of that designer sometimes?
2: Uh, sometimes. <laughs> I think in okay. terms of the uh, people's antagonism towards fashion, I don't think anyone's antagonistic towards women's fashion. And, no. there's a, and there's an implicit sort Absolutely. of in, inverted sexism there. It's only when it's talked about uh, in a male environment that people get sort of um, little... They, they, get, they, they get testy about it. And actually, that's completely a generational thing. Yes. Because if you take the sort of uh, our entry-level reader who will be sort of 16, 17 years old, um, they have no qualms about fashion because... They're actually far more sophisticated in terms of their consumer habits than their fathers were, uh, than any of us are, um, and they probably consume more like women, and they have no issues with that. They have absolutely no issues. But no is that issues.
0: because, you know, you've sold them the sugar of the look for so long that they don't know any different, or is it that in fact they've become? Is is it a part of? Is it a form of equality? I mean, Stephen, here you are writing about your raincoat, saying classic, long, unbelted beige Schneider raincoat from Harrods, a replacement for a 25-year-old aqua that I eventually left an airport security check. So, I mean, is it, a, is it progress that no. my, my stepson Max is, a fa- is into fashion and he's 20? Is that progress or is that clever well, marketing?
1: There's no clever marketing in that comment at all because, I, as I go on to say, that... Um, it, you know, that, that rancor makes me feel like Alan Ladd in a 1940s movie. And, you know, I feel that's, that's timeless to me. And I think um, the all the idea that I have a fashion or style is something that doesn't go out of fashion, but is always there. And that's why I can... Well,
4: fashion has always been cyclical, hasn't it?
1: Hmm.
4: I mean, those, those people that... Um, like me that are mad collectors of everything never throw anything away except when my wife um gets hold of my gets into <laughs> the covers <coughs> when i'm not there chucks everything away um it just comes around in a cycle everything comes around in a cycle because it, there's there's only so many particularly men's fashion which is a lot easier than the women's but of course <laughs> because because there's you know a suit's a suit and it's either blue gray or brown a good night and it. Rare that other colours come out. That gives you the individualism. Um, but it, it always recycles itself. Does and it always generate? has done.
2: Well, in men's, I'm not sure that's true, because no. I think when, when I was a younger person, uh, I mean, I grew up in the 70s, where we were probably the first generation of men to see images of, uh, of ourselves reflected uh, back at us in style magazines. Yeah. There was an amazing period well, amazing in my life, period of three months in 1980 where ID, the face, and uh, Blitz all launched. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that great pejorative term, the launch, that was the designer decade. Peter knows uh, much more about than I do. But it's, uh, we were the first generation to see images r- reflected back at us in the, in the way that women had been sort of commodified, I suppose, for years and years and years. But you can't say that... Uh, that thing about sugar, uh, about enticing men, in. because the young men today, they're really adopters. They, you know, they weren't born 25 years ago. It's just a different world to them. They consume in completely different ways.
0: But what I think GQ did, which I guess um, was quite pioneering for men, is it wrapped fashion in with content and politics. It wrapped fashion in with more than just fashion, right?
2: Well, that's, that's the... I mean, when I inherited the magazine, it's the, the magazine has always been uh, uh, a very reductive level of conduit for the luxury goods industry. You know, our, our job is to sell trousers to young men. But yeah, the, the kicker, the interesting part of the job is the journalism, is all that sort of stuff. But... Uh, um,
0: or isn't it both? I mean, you've got what have you got on politics in this issue? You've got a very good piece by a woman about stand up comedy. The only drawback is it's not Viv Groskop who's going to be on the closing panel. But other than that, it's a very good thing.
5: Uh, <laughs> your agent.
0: <laughs> she, you've got David Bowie, surprise, surprise, because that's. Uh, well, that's, that's the thing. Pick.
2: You talk about uh, cyclical. I mean, it's uh, the, the Bowie exhibition, which, which opens this evening, um, has had more advanced. Um, Tickets than any other exi- exhibition that the VA have ever put on. Yeah. And that shows you, I mean, Bowie existed in a vacuum. I mean, he was born in a vacuum. I mean, he's, had a, you know, he's been in a vacuum for the last 10 years. Um, but absolutely extraordinary creation where there was nothing around at that time. Absolutely nothing. Uh, and the, my generation, and probably the half a generation before, were people who watched David Bowie on Top of the Pops in 1972 and had a sort of life altering moment because we were very impressionable teenagers. And
0: is that why, in the ad for the app, you've got lots of hot, iconic people of the moment basically being brand ambassadors? Doesn't fashion and magazines, I mean, what do you think? Would you want to wear something that somebody else that you admire has worn, or does it not work like that? Peter, we it, want our icons, it, it right? Does, so it, doesn't
3: it doesn't work like that. But you, people pick and choose amongst what celebrities do and what they wear because they're there now, not to be worshipped from afar, but because there are so many more of them and they're so more obviously fallible, you say... I can learn from that experience, and I'll have those shoes, but in a better colour, please. You know, it's it's much much more pick and mix I don't. Than, than you
4: I, I don't agree with you, Peter. I I actually think that the rise of celebrity culture has actually created fashion items that have become a uniform, where you have to emulate that to exactly the way it is, which is why often, particularly today with women's fashion, and has been for some time, of course. That whenever you see a celebrity come out with a designer uniform, within 38 seconds you can buy it in H and M and you can buy it in, uh, you know, ASOS. Pardon? ASOS. ASOS. ASOS buy on ASOS, ASOS because they're, yeah. they're geared up for it and so on and so forth. So they become uniforms. I. What bothers me is that the collect or the individuality of identity, which is what designer shows and what Fashion Week is all about to try and bring that out um, is starting to take on a different direction whereas the point of things like Fashion Week was to show off the individuality was to feature new designers and give them a shot and whereas it was originally rare to see people wearing those fashions but to give other people ideas to do it now it's literally a new... It's like school uniform. You've got to wear that uniform.
0: OK, but let's ask the people in this room. If you're a gentleman of a quarterly persuasion... No, if you're a gentleman in this audience, <laughs> put your hand up if you regard yourself as fashionable. If you would like to regard yourself no as fashionable... No man is going to put his hand up. Right. Stylish.
5: Stylish. Stylish.
4: Correct. All right, let's discuss
0: that. Do we get a microphone to Ben Page, please, who is quite stylish and fashionable. (laughs) Right, so what's with that? Stylish but not fashionable. I just suspect that most men will not want
3: to admit that they're fashionable, even though I notice that most people aren't wearing flares, and 35 years ago they probably would have been, or 40 years ago they probably would have been. Um, So we don't like
1: to admit that, but we probably do want to be stylish, and most people will believe they have their own sort of style, even when they've got one.
0: Okay, who doesn't mind? Zach Schwartz over at the top, who's a young, stylish, fashionable man. Zach, put your hand up. I'm picking on you. Yeah, talk, talk to me about young men of fashion. You're closer to Dylan's ideal demographic than any other boy in the room.
6: Well, wow, it's quite... <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> no pressure.
6: Yeah, no pressure. I, I, I totally agree that like, you would never say... You'd never want to tell anyone you're fashionable. Um... But and stylish—that's the kind of quest that we're all trying to get. And I think a magazine I did, you know, at my age, we we have an idea of who is stylish, and you kind of pick a mix. I think Peter made the point: you pick a mix of different people and try and form your perfect style. But in, the most important thing is—it's always got to look like you never made the effort in the first place. As soon as it feels in any way forced then you you know, or in my social service, people will feel that that person is trying to be, is becoming a fashion victim or, you, you know, you should carry your style. and It's a sense of style that doesn't look, it should never feel forced. I think that's the key thing for, for me with, with style is that it's just, that's who you are, but there's often a lot of work gone in the background, which, you know, people don't necessarily know.
0: If you have style, I don't know who else wants to answer this, does it mean you have content? Does it mean naturally you're then associated Wait, with no, substance? Have you have a response to that. Yes. On total death. Total death? Wait, <laughs> okay. I mean, the
3: idea that style and content, you know, style signifies a total lack of content is a compensation putty medal for somebody who hasn't got either. You know, <laughs> it absolutely is, you know. If you can't cut it at all, you say all style, no content, as if the two were absolutely they axiomatically divorced. Of course of course that's ridiculous. French people used to say Steel Salom, all those things. It's right.
0: But as a okay, Harvey, why is he wrong on that? Why are you disagreeing?
3: I didn't say it was wrong. I,
2: I, I, I see no. uh, yet I'm just, just anticipating the terminology of it.
4: But I, I still maintain I mean maybe in this room it's slightly different but the average person I genuinely believe today and you I see it because I see particularly with music which is which is the young person's leader in fashion to some extent that it that that you do see uh, people wearing it just because their icon is wearing it and it does become like a uniform whether it works or it doesn't work and I find I don't see anything wrong with it, but it's not my idea of what a description of
2: fashion is. That's, that's always been the case, so I think emulating your heroes when you're young, but uh, I mean, for me, it's a business. Uh, and actually, I think that if you look at the, the current consumers uh, of men's fashion, they, uh, A, men expect fantastic offers at every entry level, whether it's high street, mid-market, designer, luxury, bespoke. Um, and also, there is, there is a market there for it. I mean, I just spent two years um, launching uh, London Collections Men, Britain's First Men's Fashion Week. And actually, it's actually taken off because there is, there is an appetite for it. And as I keep saying to people, it's only going to work if people want it to and work. It's very and, there brand, is the market. and
0: it's very brand Britain, isn't it? You've bought, just explain what you've done, because it's actually quite commercially uh, significant, isn't it? You've well, bought the London first ever men's collections to show in London? Yeah,
2: it, right. it started as a, as a platform for British men's designers. Um, because previously there was only one day at the end of uh, London Fashion Week. Uh, We put it in the right part of the calendar, we made it three days, and we also used it as a uh, a platform where international designers can come and show. But because we are trying to compete with Florence, Milan, Paris, um, and New York, we've had to create all this fuss and all this buzz uh, and actually try and build a cultural program around it as well. But, obviously, if, if you are Calvin Klein and you decide that you need to show in London, oh, in Europe, I mean, why on earth would you... If, if you decide to show in Milan, you're showing in the ugliest city in Northern Europe that isn't in Germany. If you show in Paris, you're showing in the most bourgeois city in Europe. Come to London, we've got the best restaurants, the best um, museums, the best open spaces. Uh, the best art galleries, etc., etc.
0: So is that why you've got a Boris could be prime minister piece in GQ? Because it's all about the dovetailing of politics and the promotion we, we of. The always piece, the whole, we always have a piece. We always have a piece. We always have a pro-Boris uh, piece. There's about, about one every three issues. Yeah. No, but I guess the well, question is. We had he, Boris
2: on our cover in January, and he sold 15% more than Johnny Depp did.
0: Okay, well if you put Douglas is, Carswell on your cover. then we're going to sell even more. That's our names-not-numbers mission. Okay. Douglas, can we bring the microphone over to Douglas, who I'm now sort of monstering. Douglas, do you have to take note of fashion Uh, up until this moment? Did you? Do you? What's the connection?
6: I'm probably the last person who should talk about fashion as a a personal style, but I'm I'm very conscious of fashion in terms of ideas and and political fashion. And um, I think um, there is... um, an extraordinary tendency in, in, in politics in particular for people to wear other people's ideas um, not because they themselves have in any sense thought about it but um, ideas are in a sense what what scientists call means they're a self-replicating concept that people sort of um, take on board and, and wear as, as an item of clothing um, because they feel that that's the uh, fashionable thing to do. So if you're
4: in the cabinet are
6: you told what to wear? I have I, no idea. I, I, I've not even come close. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say. But um, I, I, I think, think in, terms, so of, in terms of, but on a serious note, in terms of what to wear, in terms of your views and outlook, then I think unless you conform to a set of fashionable beliefs, you, you won't even get anything in.
4: But they are kind of told to wear, when to wear a tie, which tie to wear. Often their their uh, PPSs walk around with a selection of ties, or indeed when they're allowed to take their tie off or being told to take their tie off, because that's a statement, isn't it?
7: Well,
2: we had to, um, uh, we had to ask Ed Vasey to stop talking about the fact that he was so badly dressed. He is. Uh, not the point. <laughs> you get up there, you wear a suit, you make a speech, you don't even mention what you're wearing. It's completely unimportant. You've just what, got you to... mean he
0: made a sort of jovial, rumply... Yes, because
2: as we're men, we're meant to be embarrassed about dressing well. And about oh I'm not you know I shouldn't be the minister of fashion because look at my okay. shoes. It's oh, okay. Et
0: okay. Well, before we go back on that, Stephen, what about Douglas's point about the fashion of ideas and you know how masculine and muscular is it to be fashionable and okurong with an idea rather than what you wear?
1: Gosh, that's a heavy question. I, I wasn't prepared for this at all. You know because I, I, I feel like a total imposter. I never think about. Start, when you said style...
0: Excuse me, we no, but, have evidence totally to no, the contrary. Was, Look at this, cufflinks by Libby Ambrose. You said, no, but,
1: that's, it's slightly ironic, but, you, you know, t- Julia sent me a text about a week ago and said, will you please come on this panel on men and style? So I thought about men and style, and she didn't mention clothes at all. And I thought of writing style, I thought of communication style, I thought of... I mean, that's what I was thinking of, because as I was telling my, my good friend... Professor May, uh, the professor of love, that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> here's the profe- he
0: is the professor of love. We'll love come on history. to that in a minute. Wow. No, but, you know,
1: I, I, I was, I, my brother and I, my twin brother and I were brought up in a house with my father, wow. who uh, had formica furniture, we had linoleum, we had fluorescent lighting he, he systematically chipped off the cornices in this Victoria this Edwardian terrace. He wanted to expunge any memory of this grim Leeds ghetto that he grew up in. Um, we had no style at all. The only style he imposed on us was writing style. So when, I t- when you say style, I think, you know, I think of right, And I even wrote a little book on style, if anybody. Limited edition of 500, if you'd like a copy. It'll tell you how to write and how so to write emails. Say what's on the cover for those emails. people that can't read It that says style. style and Usage, a guide to writing. Actually, it's Pigtail Style because it's people in finance don't write very well. So. And, you know, that's what I think of style. And I don't regard myself as very stylish, I, But I, except in relation to my brother. <laughs> my twin Who edits brother. the
0: Financial Times. No competition. Well,
1: he's, no, but uh, you see, he... I mean, he, the regularly articles about his style have appeared in the Financial Times Weekend. You know, Lionel Barber is taken to some special tailor in New York and he's kitted up and, and I'll see him and he's wearing this incredibly expensive with the ties and everything and he still looks as if he's come out of the ghetto, you know? You know the, so the belt is, you know, his trousers are below... Can any psychoanalyst in the room see him after and just talk that one through? His trousers are below... Is this being broadcast, by the way? Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. No, I hope not, because I hope it doesn't get back to him. Because no, yeah, really, a year ago, I mean, dream on, Stephen. It's not exactly. We are around, broadcasting. two years ago. Two years ago, we were at the. I went to the FT Business of Luxury Summit, and you know, I mean, can you believe it? it's ironic that he should be chairing this thing? Um, but he opened this. He was opening the conference with Bernard Arnault. And, I mean, half an hour before he was due up on stage, I got this phone call saying, Stephen, Stephen, have you got a pair of brown shoes, please? No, he did not have... All he had was trainers. So that's him. But,
0: OK, but we're still anyway, joking about, about yet, men and fashion. Now, I've is... got this theory that men are not allowed... still in the main culture, which I think is to your point, that men are not really allowed to be good at fashions. Hmm. Is that right? Peter, no, no, yes, no, it
3: no. is right, and it 's right for a number I want to fully articulate this if you are highly educated, if you particularly if you work in the world of the words, it 's partly a mad, matter of generational cohorts, as Dylan said. The younger people are, the, the more they take to fashion as a, as a given you know, as a part of the equipment of a modern person there 's also a thing that upper-middle-class people in the UK of almost any age who live by ideas have a consciously anti-fashion thing. The idea of Ed, Ed, lovely Ed, our Minister for Culture, who is an extremely nice person, but he is saying, I'm above all that. I'm really above all that. I'm a really thinking, highly connective person. And... Talking about being rumpled is part of my stock in trade. It is a conscious stratagem. Is
4: that that not just pure snobbery?
3: It is pure snobbery. It's it's, um, misogynist because it implies fashion is something mainly for women. It's uh, classist because it says fashion is for people who have no other outlet because in a ghetto the threads on your back are fantastically important. That's why ghetto people are better dressed than anybody else. And it's also puffist because it implies that fashion is a special place for puffs. So all those things imply. Now, puffist. You can't.
0: <laughs> I and love puffist. puffist. You yeah. heard it here first. <laughs> You may have thought the takeaway from Names, Not Numbers was neuroscience, but I think...
3: And because in that world, those people cannot acknowledge these low and visceral emotions, they disguise it, they post-rationalise their prejudices along those ist lines in terms of saying... Do you know, uh, this person isn't terribly serious here. He's rather uh, air-headed, I'm afraid, you know. Uh, all well and good. What you mean is you come a little puff. That's really But let's look at it
0: from the perspective of the woman, which is, nowadays, to be a kick-ass woman, you have to look great and be into fashion. Otherwise, yes. correct me if I'm wrong, any women in the room, otherwise you are labelled a failure. So, in other words... You've got to prove your success if you're a fashionable man, but you've got to disprove your failure if you're not a fashionable woman. And as if to rest my case, the exhibits of the ladies in the magazine are, of course, babes, right? I think it's
2: fundamental that any uh, glossy magazine has a libido, including ours. Fundamental. Yeah.
0: Okay, so... Why, then? OK, tell us about the percentage sales of Bradley Cooper on the cover or Rosie Hunter. Um, not men, not sell
2: men sell better.
0: Men sell better. We have
2: probably eight out of 12 will be male covers.
0: But what about all the bikini girls on the covers of magazines? Did you ever do that?
2: We did for a while, yeah. We did that for about um, two years, and it was a, uh, a disaster. Why? Disaster. Because we were following the, 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 so the many trend. Because there yeah. was so many women's There was such a, uh, a boom. In that area of the market in the 90s, uh, and it didn't work because it's well, because our reader is is not that reductive consumer. So, uh, and also, if you if you use sex as your principal selling point, uh, there is only one way to go. It's like the newspaper that. Um, it's the shrinking newspaper is that if that's your modus operandi that's your thing you just keep pushing the envelope because people get scared and then you just end up in a big pool of pornography so, so.
0: but at the same time you are selling a particular kind of girl
2: and boy we don't have ugly models in our magazine ever we are presenting an archetype an ideal of course we are
0: so it's puffist and prettiest then? If, can you say you can only say be was better. No,
4: it's about, better.
2: it's about
4: today fashion is much more integrally integri- linked with fantastic marketing. So everything today is preceded by careful uh, and clever marketing from the companies that owned the designers and so on. Which one would expect? Which one would expect. But everything then flows from that because it is a massive great marketing exercise. There was a point in fashion where fashion was for, if you like, creativity and art's sake, which I quite like personally. in my own life, I'm not a particularly fashionable person because I'm colour so half the day, I haven't got the faintest idea what I'm wearing. And the only time I ever find out what I'm wearing is when I go in the office. If they laugh, I know I've screwed up. <laughs> so... Uh, can I... Can I so, do, but, but, but nevertheless...
0: You're being disingenuous, though, because you wear very beautiful clothes. Um, you actually don't wear cheap threads to use your
4: term, no, do you? I don't
1: like cheap threads. Right. find them uncomfortable.
0: Stephen, what are you going to say on that? I was going to
1: say, I mean, we're all about this, not you, but the men here are all roughly the same generation. We I think I, I the am the too, 70s. let's face it. Yeah. So, so, 70s, <laughs> and, you know, in spite of this enormous expansion in, in the men's fashion industry, I, I don't think that men on the street in London are any better dressed than they were 30 years ago. I think oh. people, I think English really? No, I don't think that. People true. still no, dress no. very badly, and
7: no. you can spot them abroad. Do you
0: think? Right, Matt Peacock so. over here has got a view. I think
7: so. Men's fashion doesn't seem to evolve at anything like the rate of women's fashion. I mean, you mentioned Stephen; you've got suits in your cupboard from the 1980s, that yeah. you'll know. That, if they're well made, they're still wearable. Mm-hmm. When you put them on, you go out into the street. You're wearing the uniform of a corporate man. You're wearing a suit. So. Many men in this audience, I'm sure, have suits that are 10, 15, 20 years old that don't change. And if you look at the elements of, certainly the working environment, the the kind of clothes that men wear, um, there are lots of incongruities that just seem to exist generation after generation. Little things like, why have I got buttons down here on my cuffs on any jacket? What are they for? Why do I have culture? it's, but it hasn't changed. I mean, it's, it's, it's recognisable. If you go back even 80, 90 years, the fundamental aspects of the kind of the working uniform of a middle-aged man hasn't changed. Okay. But if you look at what women wear, it's changed hugely. I'm curious. Well, I don't else. know. I think
0: I it goes know. round and round and so Let's have some more points. Ed Caesar up here, Habby up there, and Elliot over there. You see, I know all your names now. Cause I was really just so reminded
8: bonded. by... Um, I was reminded on this conversation about style and content... But I got an email from Gay Talese, who's one of the fathers of the New Journalism, when I was doing a piece for GQ about Tom Wolfe. And I was asking him a series of questions. And one of the questions was about style, because Tom Wolfe wears this particular style. And Gay Talese has a particular style, which are these kind of bella figura, um, double-breasted suits that he gets cut in the Upper West Side. And he wrote back this lovely um, bit about why he thought it was important to dress well. And he said, I felt that as a journalist, I held a special place in society that I was working for a profession dedicated to minimizing the human tendency to lies, to exaggerate, to falsify, deceive. So as a journalist, I felt morally superior to the people I was interviewing. Political figures, bankers, lawyers, clergymen, businessmen, etc. And I dressed up for the story. I dressed up to show respect for what I was doing, being part of a, being part of a profession that was more honorable than any other. And that was, that was at the heart of what he was doing as a journalist was embodied in... ...what he was wearing. So style and content, not necessarily... Well, Do you apply
0: l- that when you go to Kenya to write your pieces? Do you want to be stylish? or you ju- what, what, what does success look like to you as a
8: journalist? Um, it's a slightly different... <laughs> <area> <laughs> ...in Kenya where... Uh, it's too hot. It's a bit hot. <laughs> but Gay Talib have worn a double-breasted suit... ...of a slightly lighter cloth. And he, ne- he never, ever changed his uniform... Whatever he was doing because he felt he was disrespectful to the people he was interviewing He said he was talking down to them If he met a coal miner he would wear a suit If he met the president of the United States he would wear a suit Because he always felt that his position shouldn't change and the world around him
2: Tom Wolfe used to do a similar thing uh, And he used uh, the way he dressed in a very confrontational way and when he was with the Merry Pranksters, uh, with Ken Kesey, nineteen sixty-six, he wore a white suit and a white fedora uh, for, I think, four months, pretty much uh, every day. And it was a to distance himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was a very confrontational thing to do in the mid-sixties to to dress like this dandy. He always said that he would walk around New York dressed like that, and people would run a mile because they just thought the guy was a freak. He said, you walk down Fifth Avenue at 4 o'clock in the morning wearing a white suit, no-one's going to mug you.
0: Can I just... Could um, Ben, could you pass me my new yes. Anya Hindmarsh bag? Because I want to ask about... The man bag isn't the same as the handbag, is it? Really. Thank you. Can we just have... I bought this in an anxious moment before I went on stage to speak to Jude Kelly's WOW audience. That's the kind of thing women do when they're anxious Is they buy armour. Okay, what do men do when they're. I mean, first of all, is anyone going to speak up for the man bag? And secondly, what do you do to feel armour plated if you're not going to wear a white suit and a fedora before you go into something stressful? Stephen, man bag and protection gear. Man bag. Do you you have a man bag? I
1: don't, no. Okay, no.
0: What do you wear if you're. Do you wear or buy or put on lipstick? perfume like women do before a stressful situation?
1: I, I, I try to dress as neutrally as possible, not to draw attention. Because I, I always think of... I can't remember this. I wish I'd looked it up before I came on the platform, but there's a quote in one of Thomas Mann's short stories in which he says... You probably know it, Peter. Um, he what says, a man should always wear, dress soberly and without her because you know, there's enough to, that's wild going on inside you that you know you should, and that's that's my. So no, so
0: no war so no, paint, no nothing. Not All right, a, uh, we've got five minutes, and Habby not. needs to speak. Um, what
4: about what about? Excuse me. Man what about the rest of us?
0: All right, go on then, Harvey. Man bag, man <laughs> bag, war paint.
4: Man bag, definitely not. I
0: why think, not?
1: I just think they look Come on, and, on,
0: how could you? Why stupid. do you not want a handbag? I just don't get it.
1: I'll tell you what oh, I have. I yeah, have, but, I have my notebook.
0: You have a notebook. P- Peter has a plastic bag, don't you?
1: I have
4: a plastic bag. My, like my, my, my armour is a cigarette.
2: Your armour is a bit different. <laughs> you told
0: me chewing gum. Chewing gum. Yeah, but of
2: course. If you're meeting 50 people a day, you, uh, 5% of them will have bad breath, and there'll be one day when you have bad breath, so I always use chewing gum.
0: That's such a
5: sort of. Technical reply. Happy. <laughs> what I what I want. That comes back to that. He, he what I wanted to say about fashion is that it seems to me there are two sides: the joyful side and the unjoyful side. The unjoyful side is to do with the industry, the commerce, the pressure, the uniforms, all the stuff that I'm, lu- I'm lucky enough to have never been in any way interested in. What I love, what enhances my life, is style, and to me that's about two things: that's about object and about behaviour. Stylish and refined go together, and if you say about someone they're stylish, I immediately my interest is piqued. If someone tells me "Can I meet so and so, they're very fashion. I'm sorry to say, personally, with respect to the fashionistas, that, that doesn't do anything for me. And I'd just like s- to hear what you, what you think about fashion, it should be, can be, or style anyway, about beauty, about surrounding yourself with your personal perception of beauty, objects, refined. That notebook okay. of Stevens has given me more pleasure, I'm sorry to say, than your lovely handbag, Julia. But Thank you for, you for that, that thought.
0: Oh. Could you just
5: hand down to <laughs> the Professor of
0: Harsh Love wants word. to speak? No, uh, Simon,
4: the professor of love. No, I'm not going to say anything about love, but I'm going to make my maiden 30-second uh, talk on the philosophy of fashion. And I think that actually the fault of all the problems we've been talking about is Descartes, because he divided, he divided us into mind and body. Mind is male. I mean, this is very, very summary. Mind is male, body is female. So if men want to dress themselves up nicely, they become as rational and as cerebral as possible. If women want to be pleasing to the world, they they dress their bodies up. Now, today we're living through a period in which we're getting over Descartes. I won't give you the reasons why. And I would predict that in 50 years' time, we we men are going to be every bit as fashion-obsessed as you women.
0: I, I've got to say, I think that is a very good rounding-up that we've got to well, just, I'm going to get... What, whatever the last it. burning yearning okay. thing you have to say is, say it. In this I respond to that
1: with uh, a, a remark that Woody Allen made, I think, which was that, uh, you know, clothes are very important. After all, when did you ever see anybody naked who became successful? <laughs> OK. <laughs>
0: You see what he just did there? It's good. Punchline. Look, cravati men over here, non cravat yes. men there. Just an observation. Peter. Armour.
3: If you want armour, it's a £3,500 Anderson and Shepherd suit. Worn a little deliberately askew. And it says, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I think I got your meaning there. You were a little bit subtle. Dylan.
2: I'm not going to follow that.
0: <laughs> no following that. What's your... Th- OK, but, uh, but are you tempted to upgrade the word style over fashion? Because I do think there's been a bit of uh, derogatory fashion bashing happening.
2: No, I th- as, as I said before, uh, in the, the men's arena, fashion is a very pejorative word, and style has never been like that. I completely with you but uh, Harvey. Uh, I'll, would... st- I'll stick to my chewing gum. For time, chewing yeah. gum? I, um, I have a fear
4: that there will be a burnout factor with fashion because ultimately um, the shape of the body dictates what you can do with it and there are only so many colours and so on and I have a horrible fear that future man and woman will be androgynous.
0: On that bleak note, discuss on the coaches. I'd really (laughs) like to thank GQ for this session. Dylan Jones, driving up from London. Harvey Goldsmith, Peter York, Stephen Barber. That was the Names Not Numbers podcast. There are many more on namesnotnumbers.com. Thank you for listening.